0: JWST's MIRI is fully operational again. Have astronomers found the first strange star? The first test of an inflatable heat shield, and SLS just got hit by a hurricane again. All this and more in this week's episode of Space Bites. Hi everyone, I'm Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today. I've been a space and astronomy news journalist for over 20 years, and this is our Space Bites, our short bite-sized pieces of space news, everything that happened this week. Now, before we get into this week's news, I need your help. We're just getting close to episode 200 of our weekly question show. And so I need some questions. And not just like regular questions. I need really hard questions, really brutal, hard to answer questions that keep you up at night those ones. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes where you can ask the questions on one of our community posts. Go ahead. Like I said, the harder the better. And we will uh, gather them up for a very special episode that we're doing for episode 200. All right, on to the news. JWST is fixed. Good news, everyone. Miri is back fully online. Now we reported several times, we've talked about this, that the MIRI instrument, the mid-infrared instrument on JWST was having a problem. One of its modes of the MIRI instrument was having increased friction as they were changing between various modes. And based on this, controllers decided they were going to take that one mode of MIRI offline so they could figure out what the problem was. So at this point, they think that what's happening is there's some kind of increased pressure while Miri is switching the various modes back and forth. And they have been able to replicate it, they understand when it shows up, why it shows up, and they're going to be able to work around it. So based on this, they're going to bring this mode of Miri back online. And just in time, because there's one really important observation that Miri needs to do. And this is of Saturn. Saturn, of course, is very tilted and goes through seasons just like the Earth does. And there's only like a few more months left while the northern polar regions of Saturn are visible from Webb before the tilt takes it away goes behind the sun, and you won't be able to do the same kinds of observations for about 20 years. So it's a good thing. This one wavelength on Miri is back online so they can make these observations and beat this deadline before Saturn hides its polar regions from JWST for 20 years. And I know I've mentioned this interview several times, but if you haven't already caught it. I had this great interview with Lee Feinberg from JWST. And he let us know in that interview that the problem was probably fixed. So you got some advance notice. But if you haven't watched this interview, like I keep saying it's an amazing, incredible interview, you really have to watch it. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Have astronomers found the first strange star? Alright, for this story, we've got a special guest journalist.
1: Oh wow, that's a really cool star. Oh hey Fraser, and hello wonderful person, this is Anton. As some of you might know, I run that other channel, previously known as What The Math, with the main focus being science education and science communication, explaining all sorts of scientific discoveries in as simple terms as possible. And in this video, Fraser actually asked me to talk about this recent discovery that to some extent could be very groundbreaking, although nobody is entirely sure yet what we actually found. It does seem to be an extremely unusual discovery of a potentially either the lightest neutron star we've ever seen, which is exactly what the scientists in the study proposed initially, or possibly something entirely different. And it's that possibility of this being something entirely different that makes the study so exciting. But I guess the question is why, how, or what does this mean? So the object discovered in this case, based on a lot of x-ray observations, seems to emit very similar frequencies to your typical neutron star. But the recent observations using a combination of various telescopes, including the iconic ESA's Gaia telescope, that's extremely good at observing the motion of stars across the night skies, determined the mass of the star to be approximately 0.7 solar masses. 0.77 to be more exact. And that implies that this would be the lowest in mass neutron star ever discovered, but I guess more importantly, it seems to be below the theoretical limit. In other words, the scientists have never actually thought these neutron stars to be possible. Now, technically, it could be a white dwarf, but the emissions coming from this object almost definitively resemble a neutron star and nothing else. And here, this is actually where the mystery starts, because if this is a neutron star, it's unlikely to be something like a typical pulsar or something like a typical magnetar. This really seems to be some kind of an exotic object, with one major suggestion being that it could be the first ever quark star, sometimes also known as the strange star or a strange quark star. This basic illustration explains the main difference between a typical neutron star and a potential quark star, with the main difference being that the quarks are no longer contained inside particles like protons or neutrons, and instead separate and become their own subatomic particles. But that's of course an extremely simple explanation, and the reality is that nobody actually knows what this would even be. In terms of scientific and mathematical explanations, it is possible to have a star made entirely out of strange quarks, the second generation fermions, whose partner is a charm quark, but the thing is that all of this right now is very theoretical. At the moment it would be practically impossible to prove this, and even in terms of mathematical predictions, there are just not enough papers out there explaining how a typical strange quark star would differ in terms of emissions compared to a typical neutron star. But because the scientists have always believed them to exist somewhere out there, at least for now, this does seem to be, maybe, the first ever discovery of such an unusual object. And if you'd like to learn a few more details about this discovery, you can check out some of the other videos, including the video about this object, on my channel as well. Well, anyway, that's sort of all I wanted to mention. Thanks for having me, Fraser, and stay wonderful, everyone else. Bye-bye. And back to observing this amazing star.
0: Thanks, Anton. I hope you all enjoyed that surprise, having Anton Petrov join in the show. Of course, he's got an amazing channel, and if you haven't already subscribed to Anton's channel, Do that right now. I'll have a link in the show notes and he is one of the best, most reliable space news channels you can subscribe to. The first test of an inflatable heat shield. I've mentioned this several times in the past that landing large payloads on Mars is going to be really tricky. The problem is that Mars has the wrong amount of atmosphere landing on a place like Earth is relatively easy. You just deploy a bunch of big parachutes, use the thick atmosphere of Earth to slow you down and you can land at a runway. We saw this with the space shuttle. If you've got no atmosphere, say like on the moon, you can just make a propulsive landing. And that's what they did with the Apollo landings. But the problem is that Mars has a little bit of atmosphere, not enough to slow down to reach the surface, but too much that you can make a propulsive landing. And this makes it actually really tricky. And I've always mentioned in the past that Mars eats spacecraft for breakfast. And we know that the Soviets had a really hard time landing on Mars. Other spacecraft have crashed on Mars. So really, it's been the Americans and the Chinese who have been able to land safely on the surface of Mars. And so when you think about Perseverance and Curiosity had this really complicated system. So you've got this aeroshell that slows it down as it enters the atmosphere, then it deploys a parachute, but it's still going too quickly. And so it deploys this sky crane that lowers this heavy rover down onto the surface of Mars. And this technology will only get you to about one ton. You can't launch a heavier payload to Mars using this chain of landing systems. And it's already kind of you know, terrifying. So how can we get heavier payloads down onto the surface of Mars? And so the idea that NASA is working on right now is called lofted. It's the low Earth orbit flight test of an inflatable decelerator. And what this really is, is a bouncy castle that is tucked into a canister. And at the right time, the whole thing is inflated, and it provides a huge drag on the spacecraft as it enters the atmosphere and hopefully it will allow much larger payloads, maybe up to three tons to be able to land onto the surface of Mars. Now, of course, this is the kind of thing that you want to test. And so this week, NASA tested their lofted system on a United Launch Alliance rocket. So the system was carried along on an Atlas V rocket that was already launching a weather satellite. And when they were in the high atmosphere, they deployed the system, and it was able to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. And this is a really good test, because at very, very high altitudes on Earth's atmosphere, it mimics the conditions that you would experience on the Mars atmosphere. And so you can go the right speed, hit the right density of atmosphere and figure out if your system is going to work and they had a completely successful test. You got this really cool spin as the inflatable system was entering the atmosphere. It came all the way down through, landed in the ocean, was retrieved, and I guess now NASA engineers are gonna be looking into this. Now, I had an interview with Tory Bruno a few months back, and he talked about how ULA is also participating in the system because they see it as the ideal way to recover the BE-4 engines that are gonna be on their Vulcan rocket, which are the most complicated, most expensive part of the rocket system. You can imagine in a few years, the Vulcan rocket is going to take off, it's going to kick off its engines once it doesn't need them anymore. And they're going to be able to return through the atmosphere on these lofted systems, but probably something that's going to be a little larger. But it's a cool technology and really anything that gets us closer to landing heavier payloads on Mars is going to be great. All right, it's time for the bad news segment of this week's episode of Space Bites. First up, SLS got hit by Hurricane. Remember what I said last time? At this point, we've got another month and a bit before we can see the rocket roll out to the pad again. And maybe this time they'll be able to launch as long as another hurricane doesn't roll through. So I'll keep you posted. Am I cursing this mission? So it did get hit by a hurricane. Hurricane Nicole just slammed into Florida and SLS was out at the launch facility when the hurricane hit. And originally, the weather people at NASA had modeled the winds to be about 40 knots hitting SLS. But in the end, the wind speeds were more like 87 knots. And the problem is, is like, we don't know If there was any damage, what was the damage? It's not like you can go and take an x-ray and examine every strut, every part of the entire SLS rocket. You're gonna need engineers to do a visual examination of all of the parts that could fail. And still, if they decide to launch it, there's some risks because there could just be some problem and they just won't know what it is. So what are their options? right? We could see them launch a few days later as originally planned, we could see them take another few weeks, maybe month to go carefully through the rocket and recertify and just make sure that all the structural elements held and there doesn't seem to be any problem with SLS. And we could see it go back to the assembly building. But there's a problem, the solid rocket boosters that are attached to SLS, they have an expiry date, and that expiry date is in December. And so if they push too far into December, they will go beyond the expiry date of the boosters, and they're going to have to recertify those, which on the best case scenario, they'll do an examination, and look at a waiver to be able to launch with them. And in the worst case scenario, they'll have to remove them and replace them and because they've just they've gone beyond their life. So this is not good and I will keep you posted. Hopefully we'll get a much better resolution of what happened from this hurricane next week. You're looking at Insights last picture. NASA's Insight spacecraft has been on the surface of Mars for 4 years now listening to the interior of the planet very carefully with a suite of instruments. And it's done a phenomenal job. It has generated dozens of papers, it has discovered a fresh meteorite impact. There's all kinds of really cool science that's been done with the spacecraft, but it is running out of power. Now, normally NASA has been really lucky with the solar powered rovers on Mars because dust devils seem to come by and clean off the solar panels. But for some reason, the region where Mars inside is, it's just not getting cleaned off in the same way that the others did. And so it's just getting lower and lower in power. And based on that, it's probably going to run out of power in the next few weeks and we got this picture. And this is probably the last picture that we're going to see from InSight. Now, I know in your mind, you're already thinking, why didn't they just, right? Why didn't they install some kind of blower? Why didn't they put brushes on it? Why didn't they figure out some way to have an electrostatic system that discharges and pushes away the dust? And I promise you, NASA has thought of that. And the problem was that they had a very specific weight requirement and budget that they had to meet to be able to make this mission go to Mars. And it only had one year that it was going to be operating on Mars. And already we've seen that it's operated for four years. So it's meet and exceeded the expectations, came within budget, arrived on a deadline. And now it's time for this mission to wrap up. If you like what we do, why don't you consider joining our Patreon? This is our amazing community of supporters who help us stay completely independent. We are not owned by some giant media conglomerate. We're owned by me, and I pay everybody's salaries. So if you want to help me pay everybody's salaries, all the writers, all the video editors, all of the audio, all of the producers, programmers, go to patreon.com universe today. And if you do, I will remove all the advertisements from the Universe Today website for life. You'll get advanced access to videos that we do, as well as other cool behind-the-scenes content and other special features. So go to patreon.com slash universetoday to support the work that we do. China's space station is complete. Last week, we saw the final large module for the Chinese space station launch. Of course, the space station is called Tiangong, and just like the International Space Station, they're building it one module at a time. The newest module is called Mengtian, which means dreaming of the sky. And it launched successfully. They've attached it to the station. And this is another lab that's going to be on the station. Unlike some of the other modules, this is just purely a laboratory. No sleeping quarters. It's just for getting science done. Of course, the big news last week was that the booster that blasted off Mengtian returned randomly back to Earth. Again, we saw one of these Chinese boosters crash in some random location on Earth. And once again, they got lucky. This one went into the Philippines Sea. And apparently some folks have actually recovered some of the pieces of the rocket. But if they keep this up, it's eventually going to hit something and people could die. So China, if you're listening, please stop deorbiting your boosters uncontrollably. Clean up after yourself. But Congratulations on completing the construction of the Tiangong Space Station, and I look forward to the science results that are coming out of that. The source of a black hole's jets. Astronomers have theorized about black holes for like a century, but it wasn't until 1961 that they actually found one. This was Cygnus X-1. It's probably the most famous black hole. I guess now the supermassive black hole is more famous. But for the longest time, it was the most famous black hole. It's located about 7,000 light years from Earth, and it was discovered because it's one of the brightest X-ray sources in the sky. And what astronomers figured out is you've got a black hole with 21 times the mass of the sun is orbiting a star with 41 times the mass of the sun. But the black hole is feeding on material from the star. It's created this accretion disk around the black hole. And this accretion disk compacts material so tightly around the black hole that it starts to heat up, get very dense, and start to release X ray radiation off into space. And astronomers know that the sort of tangled up magnetic field and the rotation and all of this material and heat forms these jets, these polar jets that are extending above and below the black hole. But thanks to a modern observation using the Imaging X ray Polymetry Explorer, astronomers were able to map exactly where these jets start. And what they found was actually quite surprising. The black hole at the very center has the event horizon around it, which is just a few dozen kilometers away from it. And then beyond that, you've got this accretion disk. And sort of at the closest part of the accretion disk is about 2000 kilometers away from the black hole. And it appears that this is where a large amount of the radiation and where sort of the dynamo that it's generating these jets is coming from and so now astronomers have a much better sense of where these giant polar jets, how they're generated from these black holes, where they're emanating from, and how they get focused by the black hole, the magnetic field, by all of the incredible energies and spin in that environment. It's quite an amazing system. Now, I know that another black hole has been discovered that's actually much closer just a few months ago. It's only about 1600 light years away, but it was discovered purely through the gravitational interactions of its companion star, while Cygnus X1 is so close and gobbling up the material from its companion that it's just such a bright and easily discovered object. All right, those were all the news stories that we had this week. Of course, we're going to have links to all of the stories in the show notes down below. And remember, I need your questions, your brutal, complicated, possibly impossible to answer questions. So there's a link in the show notes for that. Please help out. And another big thanks to Anton Petrov for jumping in this week and providing one of the stories. Again, go subscribe to Anton's channel if you haven't already. of course you have already. I'm sure you were shocked and surprised to see him this week, but if you haven't already subscribed to Anton's channel, get on it. You can get even more space news in my weekly email newsletter. I send it out every Friday to more than 55,000 people. I write every word, there are no ads, and it's absolutely free. Subscribe at universetoday.com slash newsletter. You can also subscribe to the Universe Today podcast. There you can find an audio version of all of our news, interviews, and Q&As, as as well as exclusive content. Subscribe at universetoday.com slash podcast, or search for Universe Today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A huge thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and helps us stay independent. Thanks to all the interplanetary researchers, the interstellar adventurers, and the galaxy wanderers. And a special thanks to Josh Schultz and Andrew M. Gross who support us at the master of the universe level. All your support means the universe to us. All right, that's all the news for this week. We'll see you next week.